Good morning. Good to see you all. My name's Gavin. Um, part of the leadership team here in King's Church. We're normally in Longsight as a family, but it's great to be with our family here in Central here this morning. So we are at the final stage of our Old Testament, looking through the Bible. We're going to come back to this in the, the autumn, looking at the New Testament. Um, but today we're going to be looking at the minor prophets as the kind of final stage of the Old Testament. And it's been great to look at our story, hasn't it? Look at our history, what we can learn, what we can put into practice, the good bits, the bad bits, sometimes the ugly bits, and how we can learn to be more effective as God's people. Um, who's ever been to Paris? few people out there. I went to Paris when I was a student, when I was 19. Really loved it. Went to the Eiffel Tower. I was like, wow, fantastic. Went to the Champs-Élysées, the Arc de Triomphe. Wow, amazing. Then we went to the Louvre Gallery to see the Mona Lisa. Probably the most famous painting in the world. And if you've not seen it like in person, you've probably seen a picture of it. Um, and then we got to the room where the Mona Lisa was. Big queue, lots of tourists, lots of people there. And I got into the room and was like, where is it? It's like really small. And it's like, it's incredible that like this, this world famous portrait, like I don't think they can put a price tag on it. It's worth so much money. And it is literally about the size of an A4 piece of paper. And you can't get near it because of security guards and fences and glass cabinets. And this was 20 years ago, so I don't know what it's like now. Um, but that is probably the most famous portrait in the world. Did you know the Bible is the portrait of Jesus? It um, doesn't disappoint us. It's amazing. There's so much we can learn. However long you've been a Christian, you can find out about Jesus in the pages of the Bible. And John Stott said this, Our greatest need today is an enlarged vision of Jesus. We need to see him as the one in whom alone the fullness of God dwells, and in whom alone we come to fullness of life. The Bible is the prism by which the light of Jesus Christ is broken into its many colours. The Bible is the portrait of Jesus. And I believe there's so much we can learn about Jesus through the Bible. <coughs> Excuse me. So today we're going to look at the last 12 books um, of the Old Testament. So uh, in 30 minutes we're not going to be able to go into all the detail of that. But we're going to look at how the minor prophets play a vital part um, in the scriptures. You know we've looked at the big picture, the big story of the Bible. The big themes that come together. And they ultimately come together in Christ. In Ephesians 1 verse 9 to 10 it says, He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times have reached their fulfillment to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. And as we come to the end of the Old Testament, we start to see on the horizon the coming of Jesus. There's been so much turmoil, so much up and downs. The people of God have had a good time, a bad time. They've gone away from God. And in the main, they've had a bit of a tough time through the pages of the Old Testament. And a lot of that really was self-inflicted because they couldn't get God first in their lives. But there's hope on the horizon. Jesus is coming. And the prophets testify to that. They speak of that. And we're going to look a bit about that today. The minor prophets connect the Old Testament 
to the New Testament. It's like a bridging point to go from the Old Testament into the New Testament. So let's look at what Jesus said himself about the prophets. Let's turn to Luke chapter 24 uh, and verse 47. Sorry, verse 27. So here we're on the road to Emmaus. Um, Jesus has risen from the dead. And he's walking with the disciples. They didn't quite know who he was. Um, but he's, he's walking with them and starts to talk with them. Luke 24 um, and verse 27. Jesus says this, And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. So he knew that the prophets spoke about himself. This is Jesus speaking. And he knew that was an important part. Go to verse 44. This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He said to them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. You are my witnesses of these things. I am going to send you what my father has promised. But stay in the city until you've been clothed with power from on high. So Jesus in the Gospels is linking his life back to what was written in the prophets. In the law of Moses. In the Psalms. Basically it sums up the whole of the Old Testament was all about him. In Acts 3, verse 18 to 21, it says this, Repent then and turn to God, so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord, and that he may send the Christ who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. He must remain in heaven until the time comes for God to restore everything as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. So in Acts chapter 3, there was a message of restoration. The Holy Spirit had been poured out. But one of the key themes of all the prophets and the 12 minor prophets is restoration. Restoration of God saying to his people, come back to your senses. Come back to me. Be restored. Get back on track. Get back on track with one another. I believe you could sum it up in, in those few sentences Come back to your senses. They'd walked away. They were in exile. They'd turned their back on God. They'd built other idols to worship. And they were serving foreign gods. Come to your senses. Come back to me, says God. Come back to relationship with one another. They'd fallen out with each other. They'd had dispute and disharmony. There was no unity amongst the people of God. Come back to one another. And come back and be restored to the purpose that you were created for. That you are blessed to be a blessing. God's people was always put on this earth to be blessed by God, to be a blessing to the world around them. And because they'd got their relationship with God wrong and their relationship with each other wrong, they'd stopped being a blessing to the nations. And those three areas of restoration are so key in all of the prophets. And we've looked at Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Lamentations, and Daniel. And they're described as like the major prophets. So those five chapters of the Bible. Um, and the minor prophets, are, there's 12 of them, and they're Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi. Some of those are a bit of a mouthful. 
as you've probably noticed as you flick through the end of the end of the, your Old Testament. Um, so major and minor is not to do with one's more important than the other. They've been grouped like that by Bible historians and, uh, and, and theologians over the years because of their, um, their, their size, kind of the numbers of chapters um, that are in. So Isaiah and, and Jeremiah and Ezekiel particularly are big, big books. Um, and the minor prophets are generally a bit smaller. But what they say is equally as important as what Isaiah and Jeremiah. So major and minor is more to do with size of book um, and, and length rather than actually one's more important than the other. All scripture is God-breathed and it's useful for us and it's profitable for us in training in righteousness. Um, so even Obadiah, which is the shortest book in the Old Testament, is still important. And there's some good things in all of those books. Jonah, the story of Jonah and the whale. We learn a lot about that, don't we? If you've been in church when you were a child, we've learned a lot about that uh, historically uh, when we've been growing up, if that's been your experience. But there's stories in all of those books um, and, and illustrations. And all of them, I would say, point to come back to God. Be restored. Be restored in your relationship with one another. And be restored in your purpose. You are blessed to be a blessing. Get back on track. Jesus is coming and he has a message for this world. So um, you'll know, as we've looked at previous books, the people of God were in a mess. They were in exile. They'd stopped worshipping God. um, And because of that, they disobeyed God. And other nations had been able to, to take over Jerusalem and ransack the city. And because of that, the people of God had spread all over Self-inflicted, really, because they'd not followed the ways of God. Despite lots of warning, despite coming back to him, God raising up judges and leaders to help lead them, but um, they weren't able to follow God with any continuity. So in 922 BC, Israel had been split into two kingdoms. Israel in the north, which was nine tribes, and Judah in the south, which was the remaining three tribes. Jerusalem was the capital of the southern kingdom, And it fell to the Assyrians in 722 BC. Judah fell to the Babylonians in 586 BC. So they were in exile and they then started their return to Jerusalem um, in 537 BC. So hopefully on the screen there's a bit of a summary of the prophets and when they prophesied either pre-exile or post-exile. So Jonah, Amos, Hosea, Micah, Habakkuk, Zephaniah and Nahum were all prophets prophesying before the exile. So there's quite a lot of warning in their books. There's quite a lot of don't do this or this is going to happen because the people of God were were struggling and they were about to go into exile. Um, And as you can see there, um, some of the um, Hosea um, was a contemporary of Isaiah as was Micah. Habakkuk was a contemporary of Jeremiah, uh, and Zephaniah was a a contemporary of Habakkuk. So you can see that even though the books are laid out in an order, they were overlapping chronologically with one another. And it's useful to know when the minor prophets were around, when Isaiah was around, because they start to prophesy about similar themes. So Isaiah prophesied a lot about God's heart for the poor, God's heart for justice, God's heart for those who are in need, the vulnerable, the widow, um, those who were in need of compassion. And Micah, he prophesies a lot about justice, 
a lot about worship being seen and how we treat those less favorable than others. So it's useful to see who the contemporaries were because you can start to see the similar themes in God's plan and purpose coming out. So then the, the, the minor prophets who were involved post-exile So this is now as God's people were starting to return to um, Jerusalem. Obadiah was actually at the fall of Jerusalem. Then Haggai, Zechariah, Joel and Malachi. And again, Malachi was a contemporary of Nehemiah. So Nehemiah in our Bible is quite a long way back. But actually historically, it's further on. So sometimes the order that the books are in the Bible don't always help us. So it's useful to have, and some of you might have this in your Bible, like a timeline of when books uh, in time were written and were involved. So it's useful to have a picture. So Nehemiah was actually a contemporary of Malachi. And we're going to look at the end of how Malachi really spoke about restoration of relationships between fathers and sons, mothers and daughters, children and parents, and also the son of righteousness rising with healing in its wings. A picture of Jesus coming to bring healing and ultimate restoration. So there's a bit of context for the minor prophets. The context of the time was unprecedented social upheaval. Military, political, all kinds of things going on. The second thing, there was enormous levels of disregard and unfaithfulness to God and his covenant. Every tribe wanted their own God. Every people wanted somebody to worship, but they didn't want to worship God. So there was enormous levels of disregard of God and unfaithfulness to him. And there was incredible shifts of population and national boundaries. And when I read that about this period in history, about two and a half thousand, three thousand years ago, kind of reminded of kind of what we're living in today. We do live in unprecedented times of social upheaval. Unfortunately, there are enormous levels of disregard of God. And there are major shifts in population and national boundaries. So what God spoke through his prophets in that day, I believe, applies for us still today here. Gordon Fee described this period of history with 10 Ds. um, And they're a little bit kind of depressing. But they're death, disease, dearth, drought, danger, destruction, defeat, deportation, destitution, and disgrace. So when you read the Minor Prophets, the context is a little bit gloomy. But hold on, there is hope. You know, Jesus is coming. But it's useful to know that when we turn our back on God, when we forsake his covenant, and we don't put him first, we can really go off the mark. So there's a warning for us, even post-Christ, post the coming of the Holy Spirit, we can still fall back into those traps if we don't heed the warnings of scripture to stay true to God. The prophets held up the covenant of God as a standard to live by. They held it up as something that God's people could assess where they were up to, to make sure that they were building in the right way, in their own lives as the people of God. Amos and Zechariah used the illustration of a plumb line now, who's ever used a plumb line when they've been building anything? Okay, a few people. So a plumb line, for those who don't know, and we'll look at a, a spirit level in a moment. A plumb line is a long piece of string with a piece of metal on the bottom of it. And it's usually lead. Um, and the lead um, forms like a weight at the bottom. And you hold the, the string up and it forms a vertical line that you can then build a wall against. And it gives you a really strong plumb 
line. Now, lead, a little bit of useless information, in the periodic table, its sign is PB. And that comes from plum bob. So lead is known for being on the end of a plumb line. Now, a plumb line, big piece of string. So we're going to look at the scriptures and how this was used. So Amos chapter 7 and verse 7. If you want to turn to that, Amos chapter 7 and verse 7. So don't worry if you can't find Amos. Use your, use your contents page. There's no condemnation for using the contents page. It's there to help us. It's halfway kind of towards the end between, between Daniel and Matthew. Okay, Amos chapter 7 and verse 7. He says, this is what he showed me. The Lord was standing by a wall that had been built true to a plum, with a plumb line in his hand. And the Lord asked me, what do you see, Amos? A plumb line, I replied. Then the Lord said, look, I am setting a plumb line against my people Israel. I will spare them no longer. So unfortunately, God held up a plumb line and God's people were not straight against his will and his purposes. So a plumb line is really useful if you're ever building anything. The other thing that's really useful is a spirit level. So who's ever used one of these? So a few more. So a spirit level does similar to what a plumb line does. So a spirit level helps you to make sure that things are sort of flat that way or vertical that way. So let's just test out the stage here at King's House. See how flat it is. It's pretty good, actually. It's bang on. So well done for people who put the stage together. So that's incredible. So in some ways, the prophets were holding up a spirit level, a plumb line to God's people. And they were saying, you're not walking straight. You're not aligned properly with God's purposes. You know, you're off kilter. You like this or you like that. And actually, God was saying, I want you to live in accordance with my plans and my purposes. And the prophets are there to bring the word of God, to hold it up against the people of God and say, how are we doing? Are we doing well? Are we building in our own ways? Because if you've ever built a wall and you don't get it right at the start, it can really go wrong as it gets higher and higher and higher. And Elvis will know as a quantity surveyor that sometimes you have to ask builders to take walls down if they're not straight enough. And that can be really messy. Um, But that's sometimes what the prophets of God, and we still have prophets amongst us today, who bring us the word to help us to live accordance to his will and to his purposes. So I'd encourage us all, imagine a plumb line, imagine a spirit level, hold it up to your own life. Is your own life in accordance with this? Is my life, are, are we living in accordance with his word? Look at us as a community, are we living fully in accordance with his word and where we're not are we praying into that are we making changes are we seeking to live in line with his will and with his purposes if you're in Amos let's just turn to Amos chapter 9 and verse 11 Amos chapter 9 and verse 11 it goes on to say in that day I will restore David's fallen shelter. I will repair its broken walls and restore its ruins and will rebuild it as it used to be. So you remember back in the time of David, he built um, a, a tabernacle, a place where God's people could come and worship. 
It was the place of his presence. And then um, Solomon built the temple as a permanent place for that to be of worship. And that was destroyed during the Assyrian invasion. So here, Amos is talking about the restoration of David's fallen shelter. He's talking about the restoration of worship. It's such a key thing in our lives that we know that relationship with God, first and foremost. And that's what the prophets call us back to. Um, God, uh, in Acts, talks about a, a restoration of all things in this world. A new heaven, a new earth. God's kingdom coming in all its fullness. God's people attaining to the full measure of the fullness of Christ. To get any of that, we have to love God. He has to be first. He has to be foremost in our lives. And when we go offline with that, God comes in his grace, in his love, and he holds up the plumb line. He holds up the spirit level to see how we are doing. And I've spoken on a few books in the Old Testament in the last few months. And in all of them, one of the things that comes across so much is the importance of worship. It was great this morning to see the worship team just drawing out the praise of God's people, drawing out what we believe, what we see, what we want to see happen, what we want to sing for, what we want to believe for. There's a voice for us all when we come together in in worship. And that is so important that we see that restored in our own lives, that we take that priority to nurture worship in our own lives, to put God first in everything. And it's the, it's the challenge every day. I believe um, who we worship is the biggest question we will ever answer in our lives. Who will we worship? Who will we put first in our lives? So it's helpful to see when we look at the minor prophets that there was at times an immediate fulfillment in those declarations that were given. But there was then um, a future fulfillment. So Joel talking about the coming of the Holy Spirit. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. You know that was to come at Pentecost and still comes today. In the outpouring of the Holy Spirit there's dreams there's visions. It's fantastic to see. So there's an immediate fulfillment, but there's, an, there's, there's a, a long-term fulfillment now, but also there's an, only a fulfillment when Jesus returns for his church. So sometimes when we read the Minor Prophets, we'll think, well, well, that's happened. That's still happening, or that may still be to take place, if that makes sense. Okay, so let's just look at a few things that the Minor Prophets talk about that we can learn from today. Joel chapter 2 and verse 23 to 29, if you want to just turn to that. Joel chapter 2. It says, be glad people of Zion, rejoice in the Lord your God, for he has given you the autumn rains because he is faithful. He ascends you abundant showers, both autumn and spring rains as before. The threshing floors will be filled with grain. The vats will overflow with new wine and oil. I will repay you for the years the locusts have eaten, the great locusts and the young locusts, the other locusts and the locust swarm, my great army that I sent amongst you. 
You will have plenty to eat until you are full. And you will praise the name of the Lord your God who has worked wonders for you. Never again will my people be shamed. Then you'll know that I am in Israel, that I am the Lord your God and there is no other. Never again will my people be shamed. And afterward I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. A fantastic promise of restoration and the coming of the Holy Spirit that we saw in Acts, in Pentecost, but we still see today. And a key thing for restoration in our relationship with God, our relationship with one another, and our purpose in this world is the Spirit. That we nurture the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. We embrace Him in our lives, and through His Word, we come back to that. The restoration of our worship and relationship with God is so key. That's one of the big things in the book of Hosea. Now, the book of Hosea is all about how God's people have prostituted themselves um, and, and given their love, Um, and covenant to another other than God. And the whole book is about how God wants to bring back his people as a lover to himself. It's quite graphic at times, but it talks about how God's people are in a relationship with him. And when we forsake that covenant, we get into a mess. um, Hosea 6 verse 6 talks about mercy, steadfast love, the knowledge of God that he wanted, and not sacrifices and burnt offerings. And we start to see here in the ending of the old covenant. A doing away with the lambs and the goats. And the burnt offering and the sacrifices. Because God had seen that that wasn't enough to get people's hearts devoted to him. And he was saying I desire mercy. I desire a, a sacrifice. Not um, burnt offerings. I want your heart to be sacrificed to me. Not just the things that you put before me. So Hosea 6 verse 6, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. And that's a turning in how we worship. Because in the Old Testament, it was about the biggest pile of animals you could burn as a pleasing aroma to God. And as we move from the Old Testament to the New Testament, it ceased to be that and it ceased to be our lives as living sacrifices to him. So it's good to see that adjustment, but see the importance of our hearts being devoted to him in worship. Amos chapter 5 and verse 21 to 24. Let's just turn to that. Uh, And then we'll look at Micah. So Amos 5 verse 21 to 24. Another area that was key in all the prophets was that restoration of justice and for the poor, compassion for those in need, righteousness to flow not just in our songs and in our worship to him, but it flowed in our actions to the world all around us. Amos 5, verse 21. It says, I hate, I despise your religious festivals. Your assemblies are a stench to me. Not pulling his punches here. Even though you bring me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. Though you bring choice fellowship offerings, I will have no regard for them. Away with the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the music of your harps. But let justice roll on like a river, like a never-failing stream. So Amos is really starting to challenge God's people about the nature of their worship. He's not saying it's never right to sing songs and to worship, and we obviously believe in that. But if our worship is only singing songs and playing of the harp, 
or other more modern instruments, then we've lost what true worship is really all about. Our worship unto God is our song to him, our lives lived in devotion to him. But it's our lives live in worship in the world where we do feed the poor, where we provide shelter for the homeless, where we seek for righteousness and justice for those in need, for those in modern slavery. VIP next week, that's an expression of our worship. It's not just an outreach event. It's an expression of our worship as we clothe those in need, as we feed the hungry. And that's what the minor prophets were getting at. They were saying, your worship has to be holistic for the world around you. Micah 6 and verse 8, I'll just read that to you. It says this, He has shown you, O mortal, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you to act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. So that restoration of justice for those in need is such a key thing in the Minor Prophets. We see that in Micah 4, it talks about the the mountain of the Lord being chief amongst the mountains. That restoration of God's people being blessed to be a blessing. That was always God's plan, promised through Abraham, that God's people would take heaven, bring it on earth and apply it in the world all around them. And God's people had, had kind of lost out on that message They'd, you know, forsaken him and they'd lost that ultimate plan of being a blessing to the nations. And in Habakkuk 2 and verse 14, it talks about the glory of the Lord covering the earth as the waters cover the sea. An incredible promise by God for our time and for a future time that the glory of the Lord will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. It was a restoration of God's eternal plan for his people, seen in the context of its day, but fulfilled in Christ, and we believe fulfilled in our lifetime as we go after him in everything. So to conclude then, we've looked at all the law, we've looked at the Psalms, we've looked at all the prophets, the major ones, the minor ones, and Jesus, in his amazing way, helps us to see, well, how do we apply um, these 39 books of the Bible that we've been looking at since January And Jesus sums it up. He says, love the Lord your God with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your might. Let's look at Matthew 22, verse 34 to 40. Sometimes we can think, well, how do we do it? How do we apply everything that we've learned? And Jesus helps us to apply that. Matthew 22, 34 says, hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. 39 books summed up in two verses. How do we apply it? We love the Lord our God with all our soul and with all our might. It's restoration. We love our neighbor as ourselves. We love our community. We love those next to us. And that includes our church community, our church family. They are our neighbors. But it also extends to our neighbor, the person we sit next to at work, that person who we go to on work on the bus, the person we study with, the, the person at the school gate, our physical neighbors on our street. We can sometimes spiritualize neighbor and actually forget that it means your neighbor. Um, 
And I believe that all the law and the prophets hang on how much we love God and how much we love others. And that's a really simple way that Jesus breaks it down for us. And he helps us to see that the gospel that the minor prophets were pointing towards really is good news for the poor. Because in, in Isaiah it talks about bringing um, you know, sight to the blind, you know, the year of jubilee. He has anointed me to bring good news to the poor, binding up of the brokenhearted. And Jesus quoted that in Luke chapter 4. So the prophets pointed to an eternal plan where God's people would take his blessing and bless the world. And they'd be restored in their relationship with one another to do that effectively. So I believe restoration is that key theme that we can see. We are called to a place of restoration in our worship with God. In how we love him, how we devote our lives to him. In how we act and how we speak and how we treat those in need all around us. God calls us to a place of renewal and restoration in our relationship with each other. We can sometimes be so focused on loving God that we can't forget to love those around us. And that is so key message in the books of the Minor Prophets. And that God wants to call us to a place of God's restoring grace extended to the world all around us. Let's look at Malachi 3 as we close. So final book of the Old Testament. About 400 years before Jesus is born. So the coming of the Messiah is on the horizon. There's hope coming. Um, and Malachi, speaking some of the last words, both in you know, the order of the Old Testament and historically in the Old Testament, said this. We'll read from Malachi 3, verse 16, to the end of the book. It says, Then those who feared the Lord talked with each other, and the Lord listened and heard. A scroll of remembrance was written in his presence concerning those who feared the Lord and honoured his name. On the day when I act, says the Lord Almighty, they will be my treasured possession. I will spare them just as a father has compassion and spares his son who serves him. And you will again see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between those who serve God and those who do not. Surely the day is coming. It will burn like a furnace. All the arrogant and every evildoer will be stubble. And the day that is coming will set them on fire, says the Lord Almighty. Not a root or a branch will be left to them. But for you who revere my name, the sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its rays. And you will go out and frolic like well-fed calves. Then you will trample on the wicked. They will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord Almighty. Remember the law, my servant, the decrees and laws I gave him at Horeb for all Israel. See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of the children to their parents or else I will come and strike the Lord, strike the land with total destruction. So the Old Testament does end with um, a, a warning and with a promise. And we know that when Jesus comes, he comes to do away with that and bring blessing and to bring in a new covenant. But we can see even in this prophetic writing that Jesus is coming to bring about restoration of families, to bring about healing, to bring about a distinction between those who follow him and those who do not. And I believe that work of restoration is ongoing. That we see that in our lifetime, that we'll embrace that for our generation 
to be restored back to God, to be restored to one another, and be restored in our purpose, that we were never destined just to be a holy huddle. We were destined to be a blessing to the nations. So we just stand as we pray and close. Lord God, we thank you for taking us through the the pages of scriptures this year. Thank you that we've come now to the end of the Old Testament. We thank you for what we've learned. Thank you for what you've challenged us with. Thank you for what you've inspired us with. And we pray that we'd be able to put that word into practice in our lives. Help us, Lord, to follow you and follow you first and foremost. To have our relationship with you restored. Lord, our relationship with one another and our relationship and that purpose of being a blessing to the nations. Lord, help us by your Holy Spirit, where we've gone off track, where we're not building in line with your plan. Help us to be aligned again to your purposes. Thank you, Lord, that you graciously reach out to us today and you call us back to yourself. Lord, that you love us so much and you want to help us to move forward in your plans and in your purposes. Lord, for where there is hurt today, bring your healing. Lord, where we feel like we have you know, left our first love, would you bring that back in our lives? Would you bring us back to that place of devotion and help us as a community to follow your word, to follow your plan, to be people of restoration that take that message into a city in need, <clears throat> that take that message into a world that needs your love, Amen. that needs your grace, that needs your mercy, that needs your compassion. Lord, help it to burn within us so passionately that we want to share it with the world all around us. Lord, I just thank you this amazing community that meet here, that are part of the central site of King's Church. Lord, I pray your blessing on them. Lord, would you inspire them and quicken them in their faith? Lord, would you help them to see the part that they are to play in your eternal plan and purpose, that your people be blessed to be a blessing. Help them be restored. Help them be renewed and refreshed in this time as we go after your plans and purposes. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Thank you.